Good morning, Jacob Zwell. My name is Sean Kaiser. I'm a share partner with Jacob Zwell, working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. My job is to equip college students to build communities that witness the gospel of Jesus on college campuses. We do this through inviting and developing missional small group leaders, uh, students, to be those leaders. It's a really great job. Along with that, I also lead the InterVarsity staff team of four that serves at UWEC. And as we continue the renewal series using the Journey tool, I'm going to be talking about depth today. As we get rolling on this, I want to prompt you to start thinking about an area of life that you've already achieved some depth in. It could be an area of your career, a field of knowledge. It could be an interest, a skill, a hobby. It could be a relationship or a community that you're deeply invested in. But I want to prompt you to start thinking about where you have already achieved depth. And secondly, How did you get there? How did you achieve depth? The reason why I want to prompt you to start thinking about this is that I think that depth can sound really great, but it can also sound kind of mystifying, almost like a labyrinth. And so I want you to start thinking about that. And to help you get to know me a little bit better today, I have a funny example for all of you of an area of my life that I've achieved depth in. So I'm a big reader. One of my favorite authors of all time is J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. Now, you need to know about me that it's an aspect of my personality, just a part of who I am, that when I become fascinated with something, I dive deep with it. I want to know everything about it. This is the geek in me, to be honest. And Tolkien's Tolkien's books, they're no exception. I dove deep. When I was in high school, I read them once, And then later I read them again, and again, and again, and again, to the point where today I conservatively estimate, conservatively, that I've read the entire Lord of the Rings at least a dozen times. (laughs) I need to let you know, this is actually a pretty vulnerable thing for me to be sharing about this morning. I don't usually expose my inner geek in public (laughs) or over a live stream. (laughs) Welcome, live streamers this morning, by the way. But that's not even to get started with the rest of Tolkien's works, The Hobbit, other books as well. There's even this really niche book that he writes called The Silmarillion that encompasses the entire epic history of his fictional world, the world of the Lord of the Rings. And if I'm being completely honest with you this morning, I would have to say, conservatively speaking, that I've read The Silmarillion at least a dozen times. For your reference, if you don't already know, it's like a 700-page book. I would call it one of my favorite books of all time. I would also call it one of the most boring books I've ever read. What a paradox. The first time I read it, I couldn't finish it because I thought it was so boring. I don't know how it became my favorite book, but so it did. So I've read these books so many times that I know even the small details about the books. So one day, my, I was just looking for something to read because that's usually what I'm doing is looking for something to read. And I noticed that my dad had a copy of this book that I'm pretty sure is called The Tolkien Companion. So it's a reference book about the world of the Lord of the Rings written not by Tolkien, but by somebody who was knowledgeable about Tolkien's works. And as I was reading this reference book, I found a discrepancy. <laughs> Not a typo, not a grammatical error, 
an actual error uh, with one of the entries in the book. Uh, and this was a very big moment for me. I was simultaneously very proud and very embarrassed at the same time that I had so much depth with Tolkien that I was able to catch an error in a published book about his works. Um, <laughs> so, my question back for you, what's an area of life that you've achieved depth in? I was able to catch this small error because I knew the ins and the outs of Tolkien's work. To be honest, they'd become a part of my life. I had spent time with them over time. And I'd be willing to bet that for the areas of life that you're thinking of, interest, skill, hobby, relationship, you found depth because you stuck with it over a period of time. I think that's how we achieve depth. I think that depth comes when we stick with something over a long period of time. And I think that when we talk about depth in our faith, it's exactly the same. Depth happens when we stick with Jesus over a long period of time. Depth is what happens when we stay on the journey of knowing Jesus. And so as we prepare to head into scripture about this today, I have a couple of goals for us. The first thing is that I hope that we walk away today seeing depth as a really valuable and good thing. But I also hope that it's demystified for us, that even if it's not easy, that we wouldn't walk away thinking that it's a maze or some kind of a labyrinth. And before we head into our scripture for today, I want to just briefly go through the journey tool that we've been using as well. So we in this series have talked about thirst, where we identify a longing for Jesus in some way. We've talked about search, which is the process of discovering and learning more about what that is. And we talked about know when Jesus starts to build a sense of clarity in us. And then last week, Pastor Paul spoke on experience, which is the moment when we decide if we integrate what we know with how we live our lives. And so today, we're going to be speaking about depth. Before I head into scripture today, I want to invite you to just join me in prayer, praying for the message today too. I also do want to say a brief prayer just to um, acknowledge the tragedy that we saw earlier this week in Atlanta, just something that's been weighing on my heart a little bit. Um, So I will pray briefly for that, and then I'll also just pray for our message, uh, for our passage today. So if you would join me. Yeah, God, earlier this week, we experienced one of um, many tragedies that happen in this broken world. We just saw another example of of evil. And I just want to take a minute to grieve and mourn that and know that you do as well. And I also pray for your ministering presence over the lives of the families and the communities that were affected by this. I pray that they would know your comfort in it, that they would know that this is not who you are. This is not what you long for. So we just lift this prayer up to those people, to those communities. And God, as we dive into scripture today, I pray that your spirit would be speaking through us, that we would hear your voice in the words of Paul the Apostle, that we would be met, and that we would be moved into growth today as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are in Philippians 3 today, following the words of the Apostle Paul. Join me in reading as we start in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. A couple of things I want to point out right away here. Uh, Paul mentions that uh, there are these things that he used to consider gains, but now he considers losses when they're stacked up against Jesus. In just a minute, we're actually going to look at what these specifically are. But secondly, apparently Paul's achievements aren't the only things that he considers loss here. He considers everything a loss compared to knowing Jesus. So what are Paul's gains? What were his accomplishments? Paul says, if, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's giving us quite the list of things here, so I want to just break it down a little bit. Remember, Paul himself was Jewish. He was raised in the Jewish faith, raised in the Jewish people, and later he became a teacher and a leadership figure, a Pharisee. Which, to clarify, when we read the Gospels, we see the Pharisees as Jesus' greatest opponents. And they were, but it wasn't because they were Pharisees. It was because of their pride, their arrogance, their greed. The role of being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, was meant to be a blessing to the Jewish people. It was somebody who knew the law so well that they could teach it to other people. And so Paul mentions here a list of things that very much have to do with being Jewish. Circumcised, which is an important part of being Jewish. If you don't know what that means, I would invite you to ask a friend maybe after the message today. Part of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin specifically, about as Hebrew as a Hebrew could get. In regards to knowing the law, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, so zealous for his faith. And technically speaking, apparently he had never broken the law. That's quite a resume. Basically, if there's an A-plus for being Jewish, Paul got an A-plus. But it makes us ask, makes me ask, what's Paul's motive here? Why is he trying to build this perfect resume? What did he think that it would gain him? And as we enter the text, that's a question I have for you to consider. What resume are you currently working on? Maybe some of us are trying to build a resume for Jesus, that we're trying to prove to Jesus that we're the perfect Christian or that we're a good enough Christian. Maybe some of us are trying to build a resume that's actually in conflict with Jesus or his values in some way. Maybe some of us aren't building a resume at all, but I want you to begin thinking about this because we'll keep talking about it. But let's return to Paul's words here. So we see now that the gains that he was talking about are this perfect resume And now, after he encounters Jesus, his whole resume is a loss compared to that. And furthermore, when you stack anything up against Jesus, it's a loss. I don't think Paul's exaggerating here because he mentions that he has already lost all things for Jesus' sake. So he actually has the credibility to make this claim. I don't think that he's exaggerating because when Paul encountered Jesus, he did give up his life for Jesus. He gave up his life to travel on long, dangerous journeys to share the message of Jesus. And he also suffered 
for this. He suffered for sharing the message of Jesus, even to the point where his own people, other Jews, tried to kill him and put him in jail multiple times. And in fact, when he's writing this letter, he currently is in jail uh, one of the times that he was placed there. But even though he's lost all things, literally all things for Jesus, he still considers Jesus better. That's challenging. To be honest, that actually sounds kind of unapproachable to me. Does it seem like that to you too? How could we arrive at a point of being able to say something like this? Let's continue and see where Paul goes next. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Garbage. Paul considers all things garbage. I actually looked up the Greek word here that Paul used just because I was so curious about it, and it doesn't even just refer to garbage. It refers to human garbage, refuse, excrement. If I wasn't on stage, I would use more informal words to describe it because the interesting thing here is that the word isn't super well-known in in Greek, and so it was probably in kind of informal, maybe even slang type of a word. So Paul calls all of these things human garbage, refuse. And why? It was because all of the things that Paul was doing was pointed towards having right relationship with God. And then Paul realized that the truth is that righteousness or right relationship comes from Jesus and cannot be earned. That right relationship comes through faith in God, not Paul's perfect resume. And what this means is that when Paul realizes this, he ditches his resume. He considers it a total loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So again, what are the resumes that we might be tempted to build or that we already are building? Because if we are trying to build a resume for Jesus, as if we can prove to him that we're worth it, it's not going to work. There is no resume building with Jesus. He actually says the opposite. That's what he means when he says in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. We cannot build resumes to earn relationship with Jesus. We need to ditch those resumes like Paul and receive the sheer grace that Jesus simply asks us to believe who he says he is and what he said he did. But for us, what if we're building a resume that's not trying to earn Jesus, but what if it's competing with Jesus in some way? What if it's actually working at cross purposes with his values or his desires or purposes? Before I continue in that vein, I first want to say that I don't think that ambition, accomplishment, resume building in itself is a bad thing. I think that those are God-given things. Paul himself was incredibly ambitious and accomplished. But when our ultimate goals compete with, work against, or substitute for Jesus, they become loss, not gain. They do not bring us closer to our source of life. So for Paul, it literally was that he was building a resume for right relationship with God. For us, it might look like the reality that maybe at times we just care more about other things than we care about Jesus. That our resume building, so to speak, is oriented towards a competing goal. 
we might elevate other things before Jesus. And if that's the case, then at some point, we might need to ditch those resumes too. Or at least, maybe we should submit them first to Jesus to continue the analogy, to see what he might have to say about them. Because maybe Jesus won't crumple the whole thing up, but maybe he'll cross out the purpose statement and change it a little bit. Maybe he'll cross out and change a couple of other lines. Or maybe he'll lovingly tell us that it would actually be better and healthier for us to direct our time and energy towards something that actually works towards his kingdom and his purposes. So maybe like Paul, we need to ditch our resume. Or maybe we need to submit it to Jesus first. The reason why we're talking about this, the reason why Paul mentions it, is that it's an important aspect of depth, that we become honest and real with what our true motivations and goals are. If we can't own those, how can we ever grow or change? If we cannot own the things that may compete with Jesus, how can we ever truly express and praise him to be above all things like Paul does? So let's continue on. If Paul has already reached this right relationship that he's been striving for, then what does this journey of depth look like for him? Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So here Paul is again making huge statements. He states that he wants to know Christ, and not just that, but he wants to know the full spectrum of what it means to know Jesus, the highs of his resurrection and the lows of his suffering and death. So Paul doesn't just want to be with Jesus in the great things, in Jesus' power and glory in life. He wants to be with Jesus because he cares so much about him, even in Jesus' shame and death and suffering. And this is another statement that sounds unapproachable to me, certainly really challenging. What would lead someone to want to know Jesus in his suffering? That's not something that I believe I've said often, if at all. I think that we can understand this best when we compare it to any other relationship in our lives. Uh, Because I think that that's what we long for in relationships. That when we truly come to care for somebody, we don't just want to know what's going well. We want to know what the burdens are, the troubles. And that somehow knowing the full spectrum actually helps us know the person deeper. The whole idea of authenticity and vulnerability. Wanting to know the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. And so we see here that Paul cares so deeply about Jesus that he wants to experience both the highs and the lows of knowing Jesus' own experience. And so when Paul talks about the lows here especially, I want to clarify that he's not even talking about just the hard things in life. Paul is specifically referring to Jesus' suffering because Jesus said that he was the Messiah. And the way that Paul experienced that was in his own suffering for sharing the message of Jesus, which is an even more challenging example I find it hard to stick with Jesus, even in the, even in the normal, quote-unquote, and I'm not being trite here, but the normal hard things of life, much less when I'm taking risks to truly love and share the gospel. But this is another important aspect of depth, that when we stay on the journey with Jesus, he invites us to know the full spectrum of who he is, knowing him in the highs and the lows, and that somehow through this we come to know him more deeply than we ever would have otherwise. 
And actually, what Paul is saying here is that it's through knowing Jesus in the highs and the lows, uh, just like Jesus knows us in the highs and the lows, but it's through this knowing that he even attains this resurrection life. This is important because it means that our relationship with Jesus is as much about our first decision as it is about the journey of knowing him. It means that the journey is what completes and deepens our initial commitment to Jesus. Don't hear me say that we earn Jesus through the journey. We receive him freely, but the journey makes that relationship real, deep, and abiding. It brings us to resurrection life. So, what is this journey for Paul now that he stated his goals, his values? He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So even after Paul has said that his goal is to know Jesus in all things, he still recognizes here that he hasn't fully achieved that goal, that he's still in process. He's still on the journey. The second thing that he mentions here is that he presses on to take hold of something that Jesus already has taken hold of him for. So Paul isn't on the journey walking to Jesus as if Jesus only comes to him when he reaches the goal. What he's saying is that Jesus already has a hold of him. And as he walks forward to Jesus, Jesus is already with him, alongside of him. Jesus already has him. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so here Paul is saying, I'm forgetting my past resume. I'm forgetting the things that I was doing to try to earn right relationship, and I'm instead moving forward to press on towards this goal of knowing Jesus that God has called him to do this. And then one of my favorite verses in this passage, Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So I love this because it's, it's like Paul is saying, okay, so if Jesus is both the starting point and the goal, if we are on this journey of coming to know him better, this is what it means to be mature, to realize that this is the journey that we're on. But if you ever become confused or distracted, God will make it clear to you. That's pretty amazing encouragement. That even on the journey, even when we might be distracted or move from one side or the other, that God is still with us enough to help us have those moments of clarity. That he's able to help us remember and know what the journey is already about. And here's this final reminder here that what Paul is saying is that what we're striving towards is something that we have already received in Jesus. Jesus is both the starting point and the destination. So Paul states his goals here, and then he tells us that, that this uh, process of depth is a journey, something that Jesus is already with him on. Depth happens when we stay on the journey of knowing Jesus. 
So the big question that I want to turn us towards now is what does this journey look like us for today, especially as we've read this really beautiful, almost poetic passage about loving Jesus more than anything else and being on this journey towards him. What does this mean for us today, tomorrow, next week? What does day-to-day life look like as we journey into depth? I have a good friend from college who has a really great illustration for what this can look like for us today. It's something that has grown uh, my own understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, especially because Paul makes so many big statements here. It can leave us wondering, okay, then what does this mean for my next steps? So my friend, she would talk about her cross-country coach. So she was a cross-country runner in college. Um, She talked about how this cross-country coach would motivate and encourage the team. The coach would say, Look, if you want to improve, if you want to PR, if you want to win your races, you have to be willing to be boring. You have to be willing to be boring. In other words, you need to be willing to make the small choices every day that will keep you in line with your growth. You have to continue making the small decisions that build habits that then build values, that then end up shaping your life. And so in the context of cross-country, if you make the small decision that you realize that you need to get your homework done so you can go for a run later to train, that that's what you choose rather than pushing it all off. It means that if you have a cross-country meet that's an early Saturday morning event, that maybe you choose not to stay out late the night before hanging out with friends so that you can get up and be energized to run your race. In order to improve... You have to be willing to be boring. I think it's exactly the same with Jesus. Let me clarify that I don't think this means that following Jesus is boring. In fact, if, you, if you're following Jesus, he's going to invite you outside of your comfort zone and it will get pretty exciting and scary at times. But I do think this means that depth comes from the everyday decisions that we make to stick with Jesus, to stick with his purposes. Staying on the journey means being willing to be boring. Boring in the sense of making those small choices to stay with him that will shape our habits, our decisions, our values, and eventually our lives. And the truth is, is that this willingness to be boring it's going to look different for people who are in different seasons of life. Sticking with Jesus looks different, I imagine, from a new parent than it does from a veteran parent. It looks different from someone who's married versus someone who's single. It looks different from a student than it may for an adult in the professional world. It looks different from a middle-aged adult than it might a senior. It looks different pre-pandemic to pandemic to post-pandemic. That's why the journey tool that we've been using can be so helpful because no matter what our season can help us stay oriented to Jesus in whatever season of life we're currently in. And don't get me wrong, some fundamentals about following Jesus always stay the same, but sometimes our seasons mean that we have different needs and different realities that we're dealing with. So depth is about being willing to be boring. Or as a famous theologian phrased it, a long obedience in the same direction. Depth is what happens when we stay on the journey of knowing Jesus. 
So in terms of the journey tool, our thirsts tell us where we might be longing for Jesus. They also might tell us where we might be tempted to start resume building. Our search helps us stay focused on the goal of Jesus. Knowing brings the moments of clarity, those aha moments that we need to move forward. Experience brings us to integrate what we've learned with the rest of our lives. And depth is staying on the journey. Depth is staying on the journey in partnership with the Holy Spirit, in partnership with community. Because if we only did this cycle once, or if we only follow Jesus in one aspect of our life, that's not depth. That's so incomplete. What Jesus longs for us is that he would integrate every aspect of our lives into who he is. And so with this journey tool, as we stay on the journey, we continue with this cycle, but it's not repeating, it's deepening. And as we continue with this journey, we actually get closer to the center, which is Jesus himself. But I understand that that's a big invitation. So for our next steps today, I'm going to break it down to things that we can actually move forward with uh, tomorrow or next week. My first next step for you is to ditch your resume. If you already identified this morning that you're building a resume for Jesus, or if you're recognizing that maybe your resume might be working against Jesus in some way, I invite you to submit it to him, to prayerfully bring your honest goals before God and ask what he thinks about it. Maybe he won't tell you to get rid of the whole thing, but maybe he might have some tweaks in mind for you. The way that we do this is through reflection and through prayer. So understanding what what are we about in this season and what does Jesus have to say about it? So maybe we need to ditch our resumes or maybe we need to dare to be boring. Maybe we need to make a new commitment in this season of navigating pandemic life where we continue with the things that, uh, that draw us to Jesus or maybe for some of us it's restarting those things Or maybe for some of us, it's starting those things for the first time. A couple of things for you to think about here. The most important thing that you can ask yourself is, what in this season can you begin that you can also continue and sustain that would draw you to Jesus? Depth is all about sticking with Jesus. So if we try to launch into something overly ambitiously, it'll be difficult to sustain, especially in a difficult season. So with that, I have a couple of things to think about. These aren't the things that you need to do, but maybe they'll prompt some thoughts in you. Maybe for you, it's identifying a daily moment when you can pray for a little bit. I have a student involved with InterVarsity who identified that his best time to pray was when he was taking a shower in the morning, and so that's what he did. But it helped him pray every single day for a week, so it worked. Another suggestion similarly is to identify a moment when you can look at Scripture and reflect on it. Read a a small amount of verses and ask yourself, what is this saying about God? What what might God be saying to me through this? Another uh, example for for how to pursue this is in a devotional resource, which Jacob's Well has many, but I specifically want to highlight the renewal books. You can either download them or pick them up. Or maybe for you, daring to be boring means staying invested in Christian community like here at Jacob's Well, joining a group, being a regular part of our Sunday services so that you can be in community to grow in your faith. 
For that, I specifically want to let you know that there's a special Easter service coming up where we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection life together in community. But the big goal for Daring to be Boring here is to identify something that connects us to Jesus and his values, something that's consistent and sustainable. And over time, as that strengthens, we move into depth because depth is what happens when we stay on the journey. So would you close with me uh, this morning in prayer? God, thank you so much for the challenging and inspiring message of Paul here. And thank you that that he both elevates you that you're better than anything else, but that he also recognizes that even he was still on a journey of knowing you. And I pray that as we move forward, that we would be spurred into action uh, to stick with you this week, in the coming weeks. Thank you for how you've already been faithful to us, for the ways that you've already grown us in depth, and help us stay on that journey. In your name, amen.